supposed to be doing that? Okay, sorry. Okay, we're starting now. Welcome back to Double Dare ya. We are really excited about our guests this week. We have vocalist of amazing Winnipeg metal band Vagina Witchcraft with us, Kayla. Thank you for joining us, Kayla. Hello, hello. <laughs> they, they are um, not just a fantastic front person. They are also a poet. Um, they do lots of activism work in Winnipeg, especially around community health, um, harm reduction, um, and Black Lives Matter. So Kayla, you are here with us. We are really excited about this. I've been wanting to have you on for a while um, because I just, I, I love watching you on social media and learning. I feel like I learn a lot from you. Um, and so, yeah, you're here and it's great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. So, so Kayla. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. We're going to start with kind of talking about your history um, in Winnipeg when it comes to like punk and hardcore and metal and like how you got involved in the scene. Um, so what, like, how did you, how did you get involved in, you know, this kind of alternative music scene in Winnipeg? Um, well, basically, it's very interesting. It's kind of, well, it's kind of weird, actually, because growing up, I listened to a lot of R&B and Motown. Mm -hmm. And because that's like what I grew up around. That's what my family listened to. And then the very first cassette I ever listened to was NWA straight out of Compton. So (laughs) that was the first time I had kind of been like introduced to to hip hop. And then I... I gravitated towards rock and alternative music around, I would say, 12, 12 years old. And then when I got into high school, I had went through the whole, like, I'm seen, I'm emo, I'm going to tease my hair to hell, I don't care what anybody thinks of me, I'm sad, and I want everyone to know. And so... um, it was definitely, it was definitely a period where it was like My Chemical Romance, Immure, Under Oath, and like that sort of stuff. And then when I got towards the, like the, like I would say around like grade 10, 11, that's when I was just like, I need something different. So the very first show I went to was, I was in grade nine and it was a it was a local band called dreadnought and yeah i saw them at the garrick center um in yeah in like 2005 it was the very first time i moshed it was the very (laughs) first time 
that I like, and I like, I fell so many times. My frail little body. Oh God. The memories. Oh, the memories. Um, yeah. So that was my, that was my very first show. And so from there, I had like started to go to more shows. It went from Dreadnought to going to Taste of Chaos every cool. year to um, to checking out like local talent um, to just like going to random hip hop shows as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of electronic shows too. And then once I graduated high school, that's when I was like punk and hardcore is like what I gravitated the most so I was listening I was listening to a lot of like circle jerks at that time I was listening to a lot of like weird random like metalcore stuff too so like as I lay dying and then the the kind of punk so it'd be cancer bats comeback kid every time I die um stuff like that and every time I die has been like a staple in my in my music uh in my music uh repertoire for probably close to 12 years such a great band (laughs) they are amazing they are absolutely amazing and and then now that i'm almost 30 um i'll be i just be listening to a lot of a lot of stuff so like torso is one of my favorite bands Seriously, Homewrecked is oh, oh my so god. Good, yeah. I'm so here for it. Also, Build and Break is like my yes. my favorite. Yeah. So, so, so good. And then I'm yeah. really liking like Dying Wish. Cool. And then there's <clears throat> Endgame out of Calgary, Buggin. Yeah. Like now that I'm I guess like older, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm I'm digging more to find shit that I do I really truly mm. do like. Yeah. I, I did spend a lot of time in my youth, like dealing with people who would be really ignorant about their music mm-hmm. and like um, ignorant in the sense of like, would only show me things that were like cis white men. And like, mm-hmm. it was just, it got kind of discouraging after a while because everything kind of sounded the same, but I <laughs> went through a phase where I tried to listen to all of that music. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, mm. It's, you know, <laughs> I, I totally get that. Yeah. Completely yeah. get that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I've been the same way too lately where I've like gotten to that point where like, I'll, you know, people will like be like, you should listen to this new band. And I'll be like, is it all white men? And they'll be like, yeah. And I'll say, that's okay. I don't need to listen to it. It's like, <laughs> I very much am at the point where like, I don't need to hear like what a whole bunch of white men are saying or doing anymore. And I want, I want there to be more to hardcore and punk. Um, Uh, And there is, there's plenty out there now. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I totally get that. So. So then having been I you say you've been you've been in Winnipeg your whole life yeah I moved out to to Vancouver in like 2015 for a few months and then I ended up moving back because I could not handle the like torrential rain (laughs) (laughs) like I would just wake up and 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 it would be like 11 o'clock in the morning and I'm like where where is it 11 o'clock in the morning it is pitch black yes I am grumpy this is not okay (laughs) 
I was like, I would rather take minus 40 over yeah. this. Okay. So I came back in the middle of February. That makes like sense. Four months later. <laughs> okay. So then what, so having kind of spent your life in the Winnipeg scene, what has that experience been like for you as, you know, a non-binary person um, in what is typically um, a very, very much a white cis male scene? Um, yeah, I dealt with a lot of bullshit when I was going to shows. Like, people would give me dirty looks. Um, I, which is, like, really weird to think about because it's just so juvenile, mm, yeah. you know? And, like, I, whenever I went to shows, I, I never felt like I belonged, mm. ever. It was, like, no matter what band t-shirts I wore, I was the only one that was quizzed on, like, what my mm. favorite what my favorite songs were, what my favorite albums were. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I've had to list my favorite, like, it's albums because I have a patch on the back of my jean jacket or, or the fact that like, if I even wore like an every time I die t-shirt or even torso, they're like, Oh, you listen to torso. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) yes, I do. For fuck's sake. (laughs) Um, It's yeah. So I've, I've constantly like my whole, basically like the whole time I've ever been going to shows I've constantly felt like I've had to prove something which like turned into a very very toxic trait of Mm. mine um throughout my my teenage years especially because I was like on top of being one of like the only black people that would be going to shows like in the early 2000s so around like 2005 2006 2007 2008 2009 and then it was like on top of wrestling with the fact that like I knew I was queer yeah like I knew so it 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 just like and then on top of going to an all-girls school here in in Winnipeg and like having like being outed in the 10th grade and Mm -hmm. like I had to like change in a different different stall like bathroom from everyone else because no one wanted to be around me and stuff and like it was really traumatizing to have to deal with all of that and then like go to shows and then feel ostracized from people who you like you know you have things in common with Mm -hmm. but people don't believe that you that you like the same things as them because of what you look like or at Mm -hmm. least that's how it came across yeah so that was really hellish for me for a while and then as I got older and started to go to more shows I would see people and like (laughs) I would always be the one at the at the at the front like I would always be the one like getting into the pit I would always be the one crowd surfing and like then that's how people started to identify me for a while because I would always be that like small little black kid who was just running through the running through the pit running through everything screaming like finishing off the the sentences of all the of all the lyrics and all this stuff so it was it was just it was nice and I felt like I was starting to like gain a community but like there was still that underlying layer of racism and like oppressive behavior that I was still facing and like microaggressions that I didn't even know Mm. that were actually happening until I started to go to therapy and like talk about it (laughs) so yeah it very much affected me but now 
being able to like talk and have these kinds of dialogues and actually speak up about it has made me and a lot of other people in my community like feel the need to speak up about a lot of things that that happen the fact that like like racism and misogyny and like essay are very very prevalent yeah it in our scene and like I know it's prevalent in a lot of scenes too but I'm just speaking from personal experience like it it happens in Winnipeg and it's it's upsetting and it often feels like it's never going to end Mm. but I feel like the more that we talk about it and the more that we try and hold people accountable for their actions I feel like there's growth that can happen from that for sure and I feel like since all of the stuff that's been happening with people speaking out and with people like at their breaking points basically when it comes to oppression and racism and systemic and systemic issues I think that from that once again comes dialogue and comes change so my experience has definitely gotten better because I've been able to speak about the Mm -hmm. shit that happened to me in the past that like kind of shaped who I was but also like hindered who I was for a long time Mm -hmm. it like wasn't until my late 20s that I was like I really don't give a fuck what people Mm -hmm. think of me and now I have a microphone and I can tell people that so that's yeah great yeah (laughs) Yeah. I'm really excited about (laughs) so do you feel like it was when you started vagina witchcraft that you were finally able like do you feel like that's when you felt I don't know finally heard by other people within the sin within the scene like it took until you had a microphone in your hand for them to I don't know take like to take what you had to say more seriously seriously? Yeah. yeah um I definitely feel that way. Um, Even when I spoke at the Justice for Black Lives Winnipeg rally on June 5th of last year, like, nobody knew who the fuck I was until, or who we were really, Mm. until, like, I, like, like, we had a Winnipeg following and people really liked us. And, like, I put my name in contention for to do the to do to speak at the rally because I was like this is important and Mm -hmm. I need to be a part of this and like not only two hours before the event did they tell me they told me three days before that I was going to speak and then they told me two hours before it started that I was speaking last (laughs) so I was like all right let's get it let's get um after throwing up then I got it but like I still got it it was Um, but yeah, I definitely feel like after that, people were like, we, we need to listen because this is something that's very important. And like, um, like, honestly, I was so scared. I was like crying before, um, Dylan, the guitarist and also my partner, he was like dressed up like Bella Clava, like had like everything Um, I gave him like my mom and sister's phone number in case I got arrested like these were like it was all very scary so to go from that to now kind of like using 
using that speech for the intro to the album and then getting the kind of response that we've been getting like I was really fucking scared I didn't think people would take me seriously because I was so conditioned from my past Mm -hmm. of not being taken seriously yeah I I still don't think people take me seriously, honestly. And, like, I often feel like when I talk, I'm talking to people who aren't listening. Mm. And it's it's something that I I really need to work on. And it's something that I'm, I'm trying to work on. But it's very hard to step out of the fact or step out of the notion that you think that people will never accept who you are because that's what happened for such a huge part of your life yeah that makes sense that that totally makes sense why it might feel that way and especially in a time where it does feel like like what a lot of white people are doing is performative I'm sure it feels I speaking as a white person I guess um I would imagine that it would feel like are, do people actually really care what I have to say or are they just doing this because they feel like they have to? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. And it's been very it's been very reminiscent of like even what I've seen in our community in the past, like even in the past year and a half, like the same people who are posting about George Floyd and posting videos on Facebook of black and brown people being murdered um, with no trigger warnings, no, like, this is something that needs to be stopped. It was just purely for a shock factor basis is, is really scary to me. And it's the concept of performative activism is really frightening. And it's, yeah, those same people who did that are the same people who don't, say anything now yeah and who don't choose to speak up at all anymore because it's not it's not trending anymore yeah even though like people are dying every single day and there's so many disproportionate arrests there's so many disproportionate killings like it's it's wild that people just feel like they can hop on an actual bandwagon, yep. ride it for a bit, collect all this clout for being socially conscious, and then just fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, that was something I was I was just talking about. And I my friend Devin interviewed me for this No Echo article. And one of the things I talked about was just like how many bands like if we were talking about music specifically, right? How many bands last June were like, we made this t-shirt for Black yeah. Lives Matter and it has our band name on it. And yeah, we're donating the money, but it has our band name on it. And I'm like, yo, this isn't like a marketing scheme for you. Like yeah, you can do something different where you're showing you care like continuously instead of it just being like a one and done. Absolutely. It's, it's just really, I saw a lot of that shit too. It's just, it's so gross. It's so gross to me that people can be like, I'm going to literally make money off of this, like make money off of this trauma. Like it's, it's definitely puts into perspective the thought of black people being used and commodified and tokenized for their trauma Mm -hmm. 
but nobody wants to hear when we're doing well. Right. Nobody wants to hear when we're thriving. Like our pain has become a source of entertainment and a source of, yeah, I would just say entertainment, honestly. Like people will look at it and be like, oh, wow, that really sucks. Mm-hmm. And then feel better about the fact that they think that that's not good because they mm-hmm. think that they're on the right side of history. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like that perspective of the fact that like so much of what people like, um, you know, I've seen it talked about in many things and I talk about it a lot with education, but it's just this fact that we focus on like the deficit thinking of things, like only the negative, only the struggle and only like what, what the bad that has happened, but we don't point out all of the important, great, things that have happened too when it comes to black lives and just like um I don't know if I'm saying this well but like um somebody I saw somebody quote somebody quoted saying something like you know like our history books can't just have the struggle like it needs to have that it needs to have the true history of like you know white supremacy within the United States but at the same time like we do need to talk about like you know all of these black lives that did tremendous things that have helped in history. And so um, I think you're right in that where it's so much of it is just like, I'm, God, I'm having a hard time with my words today. (laughs) I'm, um, look at what I'm doing to help those who are struggling and then feeling better about ourselves, but also thinking that that's all that Mm -hmm. happens. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I had a really interesting conversation. This is sort of similar thinking about, um, this is in a work setting, but thinking about kind of identity politics and what, you know, white allyship and your sort of part in that and about actually to, to really center black lives or indigenous lives, you can't only talk about trauma because then it's not centering a full experience. It's not really centering a full identity. And so it's not actually helpful in the long run. And not all BIPOC folks like have a mutually exclusive relationship with trauma. Right. And I feel like that is also a very big, like it's a huge stereotype that like we are filled with trauma and we are angry Mm. and we are confrontational and abrasive and it's yeah I'm definitely learning as I've I've definitely learned like as I've gotten older that that is something that people will just label you as because they don't because if like a white person was doing what I was doing or what um if like my whole if like the whole band was white and it was just me they would say that like do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yes. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> you you both said what I was trying to say in much more eloquent ways. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, so then I guess from there, let's talk, since you brought up, you know, like the record that you all put out last year. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that record. Um, so it came out in October. Um, yes. And it's kind of, uh, so... You know, when I've listened to it and read over the lyrics, I see your poetry in it, which is amazing um, and beautiful. And just it's I 
I don't want to say I feel connected to it because it is not, you know, like there are parts I can connect to, but um, it just helps. It helps to see lyrics that are deep and meaningful and, um, you know, not just like these generic kind of like metal and hardcore lyrics um, that so many other people write. Um, but I noticed that there's, you know, a lot of different themes within it. Um, there's, you know, several parts that are about, you know, being a black person, right. Within, um, our society, but also I noticed a lot that has to do with like mental health and, and struggles with that and heartbreak and all of that. And so why don't you tell us, um, a little bit about the record because you were saying before we started recording that it is kind of a concept album. So I would love to hear more about that. Okay. Um, thank you so much for saying all those nice things. Um, I, you're welcome. <laughs> oh I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it always feels kind of surreal when people um, tell me that they like identify with what uh, I wrote it makes me very emotional actually so thank you you're, very much you're welcome thank you for writing it all of that <laughs> um basically this album um I honestly if I'm being completely real with you like I listen to it at least like maybe like once a week or so that's just awesome because, like I am like so proud of the body of work that came out of that that came out of us and like I like even if nobody fucking listened to it and nobody fucking liked it like I am still so proud of what we've done and like that will never go away like I will we even have like the first pressing of the cd like in our living room on a stand like we're like i'm i'm just very proud of everyone um i can um, i can connect to that i do the same thing i listen to our record probably once a week and i felt the same thing after we recorded it i was like she's been part come on on." But it's very much just like, I don't care if nobody likes it because I am so proud of this. And so I get that. And I love that you listen to it. And I love that you're so proud of it because like, isn't that why we should, I mean, obviously you're making music for other reasons too, but also like you should, like, that is how you should feel about your music. So sorry for interrupting. Continue. (laughs) It's so true. Yes. Yeah, so basically when when we wanted when we wanted to do the record, we had David Dobbs, shout out David Dobbs, we love you, we love you so much. Um at um UMFM, we did like one day of close to like 16 hours of work wow. and then the next day it was just like vocals I just did vocals and then the guys did some group vocals with me as well um but that first that first day oh good god um <laughs> like I I could literally feel the energy drink like coming out of my pores you know like, 
like sweating so bad. It's kind of like the Gatorade commercial, but like with like the grossest thing instead of Gatorade. This <laughs> is not natural. <laughs> um, I could like taste my own bo. It was awful. Um, it was terrible. <laughs> um, but I had I had so much fun. It was one of those things where I could like cross it off my bucket list. I was like, oh man, like sweating with a bunch of dudes while I'm like playing music. This is living the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> so it was um it was very it was a very eye-opening experience because like personally I didn't know how much effort and how much hard work it goes into mm. creating something like this and like um one of the cool things about the record is like I did like my my overlaying vocals I did them all in one take and like I was so nervous and I had like I like remember I remember when we recorded Mercury and I like completely had a mental breakdown because like I cried in front of everyone. And mm. the reason why I did that was because like that song is very much about abuse that I have mm. been through and about um like basically having to become the devil in order to escape from mm. it. Like there's so many like different meanings that Mercury has for me, but like that one is one of the main ones. And like, it's just, it's really nice to be able to, to have a space to talk about that sort of stuff. And the concept of the album was basically like an arc of my life. Mm. So <laughs> it's, <Yeah>. it's <clears throat> lyrically. Yeah. I think it's it's really awesome when um the the art that you make can be so cathartic in a way, right? Where you can it's like it's like almost being in therapy in a way where you're able to express um how you're feeling about so many different things or certain situations you've been through and being able to write about it and you know, recording it and getting that out like vocally and it can cause that, right. To have a mental breakdown or, or, or things like that. And I think that's really a positive thing in a way, right. That you have that space to be able to do that. Um, and then you have the space to be able to listen to it and be proud of it. And, and so, um, I love hearing that. Um, and I think that, um, I think that that allows people to connect more with you lyrically too, probably, right? When you make it so personal yeah. in a way and it's something that people go through in different ways, but they, they can connect to. So that's something that, you know, in reading your lyrics, I noticed was like that connection of how you were feeling in different, different different songs so um I'm sure that's also something that people feel very drawn to with your band yeah um I I hope so I hope that's that's one of the reasons um yeah I really I really like to think that like people stay for 
like they they come for the like the soul crushing riffs mm-hmm. that like Dylan has and the amazing bass that Zeppel yeah. brings and the beats that uh, Julian brings. But I I hope they stay because of the lyrical yeah. content. Ah, I love that and and that's yeah that's kind of it for that's it for me for sure yeah. like someone can say that like I love when people compliment the the, the guys because they deserve it oh, like yeah. they literally, they literally make me look good and <laughs> yeah I am here for that <laughs> but um, I I really it really gets me in my soul and like makes me truly very emotional when people say that they connect with mm-hmm. what I've written about and like can actually identify moments in their life when they felt mm-hmm. like they haven't had control over who they were or who they thought they were going to be. And like, it really puts things into perspective for me regarding that, like these feelings are universal. And, but like when I wrote them, I felt like I was the only one going through them. So it's kind of a weird like evolution of like being a, like being so closed off and like writing about these things because you think that you writing them down keeps you somewhat sane because you feel like you're the only person that's going through them. And then you let people read it and actually like, try and get out of that and then you find out that there are so many other people that feel the same way as you yes yes <laughs> i love it's that so nice. i love it's that so it's so nice yeah. and it makes me it really normalizes it normalizes these feelings and it also like for me like helps me process them yeah like in a different way because I know that like other people have felt this way and I'm like mm-hmm. great that makes me feel so much better knowing that like I am not alone in this yeah so yeah. it's a really nice feeling yeah so I know the pandemic has kind of put a pause on music worldwide but does <gasps> vagina witchcraft have any like <laughs> when things I don't want to say go back to normal but when things quote unquote go back to normal um yeah. do you all have any plans for shows or touring or anything like that um that you're looking forward to since you know you put out a record during a pandemic and haven't been able to really play on it yeah um yeah it's actually kind of it makes me so sad um it makes me so sad that we haven't been able to play the record um but basically we are in the process of recording a new song right now called blood eagle and um i kind of had to take a break from everything because i was very i was very 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 burnt out for a while Mm -hmm. um I had been working like social service jobs. So like doing harm reduction and doing um, like working in shelters and such um, during the pandemic. So like I never, I never stopped working Mm. and it was a lot. It was just a lot on top of like that and trying to find time for myself to write and then trying to like play music with the band. It was just a lot. Yeah. on top of like a lot of speaking engagements that that I was doing that I yeah. like need to be like in high spirits for so like it was just it was a lot 
and I got burnt out and I was like, I can't do this. So, um, the, the instrumentation is basically done. I just need to put my vocals on the track. Um, and yeah. And then hopefully that'll come out soon, but we're trying to work on, I'm at least on my end, I'm trying to work on writing for, for a new EP. Cool. So hopefully that goes well. Um, I've just been writing things out of the blue and like writing little excerpts of things that I think of. So hopefully that turns into something. Nice. But, um, <laughs> yeah, for right now, um, I think we're just kind of on a pause just because okay. like, we don't really know what's going on. Yeah. But um, definitely once things let up, like touring would be the first thing that we're going to do for sure. Well, let me know if you want to come to the Pacific Northwest or play some shows with Fom. We would love it. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. (laughs) The universe. (laughs) You're that universe. (laughs) Yeah. They know. know. (laughs) We've already talked a bit about your kind of activism just because it was so interwoven with the with the music stuff so I'm kind of interested to hear obviously the two overlap a lot for you and I guess I'm interested in how the you know how did those two things become intertwined did you get into activism because of music or was the music more a platform for the activism and how did those two things kind of emerge together for you and you know how did your your activism work start Um, well, basically, I've been learning about, like, black history and black activism since I was a, since I was a kid. Mm. I just never really spoke about it ever because I was ashamed for a long time about the fact that I was black. And, um, that really tied into how I treated myself and how I let others treat me, Mm. um, later on in my life so having those feelings I I wrote about them I started writing when I was about 11 or 12 so around the time that I started like listening to to bands that I found that had lyrics that really spoke to me but also in a sense like when when all these things started happening Um, like last year, I definitely, I got angry, but previous to that, I was still writing about how I felt about living as a queer, black, gender, non-conforming person in, in Winnipeg. Mm. And that to me translated a lot into, into the music because I was still feeling alienated in that space anyway. Mm. Yeah. So it was very easy. It, it was almost, it almost seemed like a no brainer to kind of intertwine the two yeah. because it was, I was feeling ostracized. I was feeling angry and it just seemed like the best place to kind of take that rage out. If that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, especially as, I mean, hardcore punk, I mean, it should be political in my opinion anyway, but it's often kind of, sold as being quite political and so if you're kind of involved in that scene but see these huge gaps in how that politics is really engaging with the world and uh, with different people's experiences I 
can see how it's even more kind of rage inducing and like wait that's <laughs> this isn't doing what it's meant to be doing you know there's more that needs to be said so you had also talked we talked a little bit before we started recording about um your poetry as well and i have a particular interest in in literature in my in my work and in my teaching and i always kind of advocate for the the place of literature in activism, that literature can be a form of activism, it can be a tool in activist work, that literature is political. It's something that I really talk to my students about, something that I talk about in my work. Um, And so I would absolutely love it if you could talk maybe a bit more about your poetry and how that kind of sits with your activism and maybe how people have, have engaged with that in activist circles. Um, I definitely feel like the poetry has become like a in in my, like my poetry to me has become like a battle cry mm. um because I've been writing um I've definitely in the past um I would write a lot about my mental health and I would write a lot about my family and the trauma that I faced and um the trauma of an abusive relationship that I was in um and and that kind of a thing and then as I got older and I kind of started to experience more and more racism my my the content of my poetry tended to shift because I was then writing about the oppressive behavior I was I was um having to deal with mm-hmm. the systemic racism the systemic the systemic issues the fact that like whenever I flew anywhere, I would constantly be the one selected for extra screening or like the, the kind of small microaggressions that I would have to deal with. And, um, yeah, so it it definitely shifted from one to another. And then now I find that everything I write is either a mixture is, is literally a mixture of the two. And how do people, I think you'd said before that one of your poems was kind of the, basis for your uh, sort of speech and your involvement with this absolutely huge um, Black Lives Matter rally last year. Um, so what was the response like to that? Um, it was, I didn't think that people would like, would like it as much as they did. I, yeah, to say that in front of like 20,000, mm. like over 20,000 people of a mind-blowing experience and I yeah because like I I originally wrote that poem in 2015 because I went to Las Vegas with my mom and basically we were sitting on a bench and I had my hair out and I was like in a bathing suit and this like old geriatric white woman decided to like walk up to me and touch my hair and tell me that it felt like a sheep and it felt like cotton and like I started like she left and then I was like I need to get the fuck off this bench and she's like yeah let's go back to the hotel so we go back and then I'm just like sitting at the pool and just like ferociously writing into a notebook with my teeth clenched and like that's what I ended up writing so I, I recited the poem uh, once at a in 2017 um, at a 
poetry no like an art show that I was a part of called we believe you which Mm -hmm. was a collection of people who are survivors of assault and of violence Mm -hmm. um and I made Trump supporters leave the room which I was very excited about (laughs) excellent um always oh like put it on my resume please (laughs) um and then and then, and I was very nervous when I said it. There's definitely videos of, of both times that I've said this poem. And, like, I definitely feel like the audience was different because I was in rural Pennsylvania when I said the the first, the said it the first time. And, like, it was just a bunch of white folks. Mm-hmm. And, like, then I go to, a like, speak at a Justice for Black Lives Winnipeg rally where it's the biggest rally that we've had in Winnipeg, like the biggest protest that's ever happened in Winnipeg history. And like, there were so many black people there and it just felt like home and it felt like I needed to be there and I needed to be a part of it. So I definitely think that there was growth from that. And Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like my life completely changed after that day. That's amazing. That's so amazing to hear. And it's amazing that, poetry formed part of that experience and that at a, you know a gathering that big of 20,000 people poetry was something that so powerfully connected you with those people and brought people together I just I love that so much I think it's I think it's amazing mm-hmm. so I wanted thank you so much I mean thank you for 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 writing it and for like giving a, a platform to poetry more generally I think it can I still feel like often people see it as something difficult to understand or to to write or to engage with and so I kind of love any time I see it being pushed forward as a you know in a way that sort of shows people how really powerful it can be and you know even I mean I don't know whether it's the same for you but even friends who are really engaged in music and you know love music and will happily talk about lyrics and songs for ages there's not that same engagement with poetry. And I guess for me, it's like, they, they seem so similar to me. Um, so I love that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that you're, you know, doing both of those things so well. And it's just, it's just so great to see poetry really living out in the world. Like, I love that. Um, and I know you'd said, I think you'd said before, we started recording but also a little bit earlier when you were talking about um talking at that justice for black lives rally like how nervous you'd felt um and I guess was that kind of your first big audience during your activism work and like how did that kind of invitation to perform come about and and what was it like yeah, um, that's the biggest crowd that I've ever seen or been a part of in my in my entire existence. But um, that was wild. Um, basically, in response to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, and there was a man in Winnipeg, Manitoba, who was shot and killed by police um, named Machuar Madut. Um, so in response to these murders and many others, there was a protest that was organized by a grassroots organization called Justice for Black Lives Winnipeg. And um, I honestly thought that there would have maybe been like 3000 people there tops. And like, I didn't really look at the event page very much because I didn't like, it was just depressing. And um, I just wanted to focus on like, 
other things because I, I knew I was going, but like, I didn't know that I wanted to speak at it until they were like, we're looking for speakers for this event if you're interested. So I just like decided to throw my name in and sent them a message and sent them the poem. And they were like, this is amazing. Please like I will, I'll speak with everyone else and then, and I'll show them the poem if that's okay with you. And I was like, yep, that's fine. So I didn't hear back until about two or three days before the event. And then they said that I could, I would be able to speak at it. So I did. And then, um, but before the event started, I didn't know that about two hours before it was supposed to start that I would be speaking last. Um, and there was supposed to be a March Mm -hmm. after. So that meant that like everyone was going to be there at the end because they were getting ready to march, uh, and protest in the street. So, yeah. (laughs) And, um, that was really nerve wracking for me. I was horrified. My boyfriend and also the guitarist of the band, Dylan, um, he was all decked out in like a balaclava and had my mom and sister's phone numbers on him just in case I got arrested. Um, he was standing directly by where I was speaking. So he would be able to like run up and get me or run up and tell me if something was wrong Mm -hmm. or anything of the sort. I also had, um, a bunch of friends with me, um, the drummer of the band uh julian was also there dressed up uh and ready to go and seppel was also there too um so yeah it was like a whole it was a family affair for sure um it was uh it was single-handedly the most important thing that i've ever done in my life it's amazing and amazing to have that support around you as well because i can't imagine how I mean, it would be terrifying to stand up in front of 20,000 people for any reason, but for that reason, at that particular moment, with everything else that was going on, I can't imagine how it must have felt. (laughs) It was so scary. I, like, purposely didn't eat anything until after the speech because I knew I would throw Mm. up, and then, um, because from nervousness, and then after the speech, I ended up skipping the march because I was so anxious from, like, being around Mm. so many people, and I started down two hot dogs and it was fab yeah well deserved hot dogs <laughs> so victory me <meal. laughs> so you said your your bandmates were there supporting you which is amazing and I love that I love having the sort of community support but I know you'd mentioned before that sometimes that you know that support really isn't there in the hardcore community and just at large in the community and um you'd mentioned you know you and Kat talked about um sort of touched on this idea of performative activism and, you know, people posting loads around stuff last summer about Black Lives Matter and bands doing shirts and all these kind of things and then suddenly going silent. So what's kind of your experience around that? Obviously your bandmates are extremely supportive of you, which is amazing, but kind of more generally, what's been your experience of support and how that's kind of come and gone and and things like that? Well, that's exactly it, actually. Um, it's come and gone. Mm. Like, there are there are a lot of people that would, like, send the band messages that were, like, in our community saying that, like, they supported us and they supported the movement and they were going to be at the rally and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but, like, what else are you doing, mm. though? Like, 
going to this rally isn't the be-all end-all like this is just the beginning like you have to be calling out your fucking asshole rapist fucking racist fucking friend like you need to be like talking to people in the community on like what you can do um without expelling too much of their emotional energy because they shouldn't be telling you what to do like volunteer somewhere like do something good for the community it's not enough to just be posting videos of black people being murdered on fucking Mm -hmm. facebook or a black square that does nothing but block black activists from from expressing their truth and from talking about the straight facts like it's just weird. Yeah. It's fucking weird. There is a disc. I think in all kind of forms of activism, but it's just so visible and well, invisible if you want around um, anti-racism and Black Lives Matter stuff because it had such a huge moment over the summer and then has really kind of disappeared. And I think things like going to rallies are, are super important. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big believer in protest, the right to protest, the power of protest, but it's also something that I saw a lot of people posting pictures of themselves at rallies, like, Hey, I'm doing a thing. And then nothing afterwards. And whilst I don't want to discourage people from doing it, I do think in a way it was kind of an easy thing to do at the time because, you know, lots of people were doing it. There was, it was kind of very visible and, um, there's a lot of awareness that these things were happening and I guess it's the sort of harder work afterwards of staying involved in that movement and like you said it's the everyday stuff of actually calling out your friends or your you know, your family members that's fucking hard but you, that's the, the work that you've got to do more than turning up to a rally for an hour and, and taking a picture and posting it and so kind of in thinking more through that what what are some things that you think or that you would kind of suggest that people could do to kind of make a difference and and take some steps towards being better allies, better kind of activists and and kind of doing that work more kind of continually? What are some things that maybe people could do? Well, first off, there needs to be reparations. There needs to be reparations to Black people. There needs to be reparations for Black trans women. There needs to be reparations for Indigenous people. Like, we yeah like flat like flat out end of story like that's that's what it is like there also there also needs to be a lot of a lot more like community care like people need to be listening listening to elders listening to the people in their community who are talking about instances of systemic racism and oppression like people like it's it's very scary to me that people don't believe that this shit is still going on because and it's it's like it's almost horrifying to know that that rhetoric is still being tossed around because this shit is still happening people are still dying systemic racism is a real thing white supremacy is also very fucking real mm-hmm. and if you like if you don't believe it then just then you clearly are so incredibly privileged or that fucking ignorant like i don't it's a yeah honestly it gets me really heated when i talk about shit like this because like i have spent so much time in my life trying to get people to care about my existence and like to care about my life and to care about the lives of black people so it's really 
it makes me really mad knowing that there are people out there who don't feel that way or don't or don't think that like we deserve reparations or or feel like we are angry for no reason because slavery happened like a long quote unquote a long time ago which is such trash because like the literal white house was built by slaves Mm. like every almost all most of the modern inventions like most of the inventions of the modern world that were created were created by people of color and people don't even recognize that or take responsibility for that either so it's like or the the responsibility of like not knowing information so i think one of the one of the important things that people need to do is is read mm-hmm. is to like yeah. <laughs> honestly like read read articles and read books by people written uh by people who are who are of color and people who have actually lived these experiences yeah. we shouldn't have to pay 40 or 50 dollars for a session about systemic oppression by some like cis white woman mm-hmm. who just studied in a in a predominantly BIPOC community and then thinks that they know everything about it yeah. like we need to be actually going to the people who are dealing with these things because they are the ones with the real insight yeah absolutely so listening is is definitely one listening and reading and willing to have those important dialogues with people on how to be a better ally and how to be more open to receiving information when someone tells you that they feel like they're being oppressed by you or they tell you that like they didn't like that racist comment that you made like it's just important to stand up and to be vigilant because it's an ongoing process yeah it will always be an ongoing process I think that's that's amazing and I think it's brought together things that other people we've had on the podcast before have said in different ways and bits of what you've said but it is just so it's it's listening it's reading it's learning and it's being willing to have difficult conversations and and listen to difficult things and kind of take responsibility for that and you know take that knowledge into kind of communities in a positive way to try and change but the, the listening thing is is such an important one I kind of completely agree with you on that one and I it just made me think when you were talking about how hard it is to believe that some people still don't think this is happening and it's you know I think it's quite easy to to think especially if you kind of exist in like scare quotes liberal circles of of people that oh you know it's just the odd extreme sort of Trump supporter that doesn't really think this happened it's happening it's not a, a huge problem and then Last week in the UK, a a government report comes out saying the UK doesn't have a problem with racism. There's no systemic racism in the UK. That is, I mean, I just don't have the words for how that how that is possible that that's been published. And it's you know it's not a small problem. It is a huge problem that people are denying that that systemic racism is an issue. You know, it's not just in sort of pockets of extremists that don't believe in this and that hold racist views, you know, it is so deeply rooted that, you know, it's something that people should be trying to tackle every single day. Absolutely. And like, it's, 
it's a very dangerous notion to think that the only form of racism is like blatant mm-hmm. or someone like waving a swastika mm-hmm. around or someone waving a burning cross around. Yeah. Like there are microaggressions. Yeah. There is covert racism. There is overt racism. There is like forms of bigotry. Like these are all things that contribute to a white supremacist society and like microaggressions more than anything because microaggressions happen and then people like people of color are often gaslit into thinking that like they didn't happen or they are crazy for thinking that someone is being aggressive towards them in a way that can be deemed passive yeah absolutely and I think it's it's probably something that not even probably it is absolutely definitely something that white people find difficult to hear and respond to as well you know because it's you know Mm -hmm. people think well I don't you know I don't have a swastika on my wall I don't you know use racist terminology I don't have hate in my heart but that's not you know it's 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 more than that like you said it's the microaggressions it's the the really inbuilt systemic things that happen every day and it's that's almost harder to kind of root out and to deal with and that's something that I think where what you were saying about really really listening and reading and learning can help I would hope so just to kind of maybe finish up on our activism chat what are your hopes for the future of um, the movements that you're part part of and the activism that you're doing where do you kind of hope to take that in the future where do you hope to see it it going in the future I just wanted to get bigger and better that's basically the main goal is to is to get more people involved and to get people being actively anti-racist and to learn what that means and to kind of go forth into the community and call out their their fathers brothers Mm -hmm. sisters friends neighbors like whoever on on their racist actions on their microaggressions and on their behaviors because this is one of the one of the main things that people don't feel like they can do and i feel like in turn their complicity is them just enabling their whoever mm. to to spew out this hatred and i think that that's like that stuff hopefully we'll get we'll get better and that's what I'm really hoping for regarding the activism like I just I just want to learn more I just want to be able to teach people and learn more myself and yeah 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 definitely just learning more and having more experiences and learning more about what I can do for the community as well that's such an amazingly positive thing to say I think that's great yeah about learning more and just and learning more so you can be a more positive member of the community and I feel like if people see frame it framing it like that I just think it's such a positive and constructive way to put it it's not you know not seeing it as hard work to do this learning but it's like this is going to make you a better part of your community it's going to make your entire community better this is just such a positive thing to engage with and to be doing I think it's such a such a great way to frame it oh thank you (laughs) all right with that Kayla we're gonna go into our final segment where we want to talk about music or podcasts or anything but first off what are some things that you've been listening to recently that you really love music non-music whatever it is 
Um, well, basically, I have just been listening to a lot of Megan the Stallion. Cool. Love her. <laughs> Love her. Yeah. Um, a lot of Megan the Stallion. Um, a lot, a lot of torso, a lot of dying wish, uh, sharp tooth yeah. every time mm-hmm. I die. Um, I've been jamming a lot of the early 2000 hip hop playlists. Cool. So like a lot of like Jada Kiss and Lil Kim and Eve, Nelly, um, some boys to men as well. Yes. Montel Gordon, <laughs> um, salt and pepper, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. I've been, I've been kind of all over the place, uh, recently. I also recently just stopped listening to that song driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo because I'm secretly, still angsty so um we just got over that one we just got over that's that was like my secret like my secret little song that i would listen to like 20 times a day okay um but yeah maybe take that one out because i feel like it delegitimizes everything i just said (laughs) thank you um but yeah so yeah and then definitely a lo- i've been listening to a lot of god's hate okay recently. um they just came out with a new well i don't know if it's whatever their new ep is it's so it's so fucking good mm-hmm. um yeah it came out yeah like very recently yeah. and they have a song called eternity of hate that just like get gets it gets mm-hmm. it right here and yeah. then also the job is amazing too yeah heavy super heavy yeah Yeah. love it yeah how about then like what are your all-time favorite albums like what are your go-tos no matter what the go-tos no matter what would probably be new junk aesthetic by every time i die Mm -hmm. um build and break by torso um i've been i would say probably crisis by alexis on fire okay um bonnie bears self-titled yes. record yes uh, that came out in 2011 is so like good. one of my favorites yes um i also really love dilly dally i've been listening to a lot of dilly dally lately um and girlwood is amazing okay. um I would say, but my ultimate favorites would be Torso, um, Kendrick Lamar, cool. To Pimp a Butterfly, um, Tegan and Sarah, The Con, mm-hmm. obviously, my black hair, <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> um, Wizard, Bloody Wizard by Electric Wizard. Okay. Um, uh, let's see here. I also really love um, Pup's album, The Dream yes. Is Over. Yes, yes. So did. Love I it. Love that band. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, also, Three Cheers for Sweet yes. Revenge. Romance. I love that album. <laughs> Me too. It's so I saw. Fun. Yeah, I saw them on that album. Like, it's That's one of those things where people are like, you actually like my chemical romance. I'm like, yeah, I've seen my chemical romance like four or five times. So many I people so secretly. I saw them when they opened up for Green Day for their American Idiot tour. Yeah. 
were. And then I saw them when they came again to promote um, Black Parade or after Black that. Parade, which was amazing. And yeah. then I was supposed to go to Minneapolis last year to go <gasps> see them. Yeah. Um, and because it was, I believe it was, I can't remember if it was like an anniversary show, but I had yeah. gotten tickets and we, we had to cancel because of COVID. So. Yeah. They'll do, they'll do it after COVID. They have to. So many people are looking to. forward to that. I yeah. love them so much. It's Seriously. also an excuse to wear a tie and heavy eyeshadow, yeah. which I'm really here for. I feel like that's part part of it with my chemical romance. It's like you could actually just like feel comfortable with whoever you are with that band. Like I yes. yes. You know, like they really just made it okay to be you. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, I also so. think so many people secretly like them, and if they come on anywhere, you're like in a bar, and they come on, you look oh, around, yeah. you're like, everyone is totally tapping along to this, and you all know what this is. But you can't <laughs> pretend. Yeah, it's so good. And they would cover the Misfits, and I loved that so much. I love that love they would cover them. the Misfits. They're yeah. so well. They're yeah. so. And then, did you did y'all know that like Gerard Way wrote the comic for Umbrella Academy? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's so and talented. Like, and oh my god! So it's now like an emo, angsty, like queer yeah. television show now, and I'm like it. so here for that. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. Yes. Um, oh, also, one of my favorite albums would definitely be Illmatic by Nas. Cool. Um, uh, let's see here. As well as... I've been listening to a lot of CU Space Cowboy lately as okay. well. They're yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and Respire as well. Okay. Gravity and Grace. Um, Ray Charles. Yeah. There's a live at the Newport uh, record that I have. And it's my favorite live album that I've ever listened to. That's like one of my top three for sure. Um, and of course, my ultimate, ultimate favorite folk album would definitely be uh, New Moon by Elliot Smith. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Oh, Elliot Smith. Oh, I love, I love Elliot Smith. Yes, he's my favorite. And um, and then yeah, and also Charles Bradley. Charles. Bradley oh God, I love Charles Bradley. I got a and, hug from him on my thirty third birthday. It was like the best what? thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. He was oh the sweetest. God man like that was just oh that was such a heartbreaking loss such a heartbreaking yeah honestly yeah amazing just did you ever see that documentary about him i did my Mm. partner showed it to me and i cried oh my gosh right oh he should be Um, celebrated by all he is just i absolutely agree yeah he's such an integral part of black history yeah he's just Woo! For Even sure. Even though he had a short career, he is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've come to realize that I went through my entire Spotify and didn't give you like my actual top three favorites. Um, <laughs> so I'll narrow it down now. My top yeah ultimate favorites are "New Junk Aesthetic" by Every Time I Die, um, "Hail Destroyer" by Cancer Bats, cool. and "Die Knowing" by Comeback Kid. Love it. Amazing. Thank you. 
That was such cool. an amazing good list. mix too. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. That's a great mix. Thanks. Um, yeah, I definitely am all over the place. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I that's how it should be. Yeah. I feel like people who only listen to one genre or even like a subgenre of a genre are really missing out on yeah. experiencing life to the fullest. So all right, Kayla. Well, thank you. I feel like this conversation, I feel like I want to have you back on to discuss like even more stuff because mm-hmm. there's just so much to talk about. And this was an amazing, amazing conversation. And so we're really grateful that you decided to join us today. Absolutely. Thanks for chatting with me, y'all. I really appreciate yeah, this. Of course. Y'all are both hilarious <laughs> and amazing. <laughs> wonderful and I would love to do this again yeah and I can't wait to meet you in person one day it's gonna that's gonna be so great yes yeah thank you all so much for listening and for your continued support we really appreciate it don't forget you can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at DDY podcast and if you want to come on the show or if you know someone who you think we should be talking to you can email us ddypodcast at gmail.com 